Are you a fan of fasting and looking for a podcast dedicated to the fine art of not eating? Well, listen in on Fridays for my brand new podcast. It's called Fasting Talk with Jimmy Moore and Dr. Jason Fung featuring Megan Ramos. We'll be answering your questions all about intermittent, alternate day, and extended fasting. It's a fun-filled, fast-paced show dedicated to sharing practical and clinically proven information all on the subject of fasting. We'll have the latest, most up-to-date scientific evidence supporting fasting from Dr. Fung in the first week of each month. Invaluable input on incorporating fasting into your healthy, low-carb, and ketogenic lifestyle from me and Megan in the second and fourth weeks, and a special testimonial episode in the third week highlighting a fasting success story from Dr. Fung's Intensive Dietary Management Clinic in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Don't miss a single episode of this exciting new podcast for 2017 called Fasting Talk at FastingTalk.com. Are you looking for high-quality supplements to complement your healthy, low-carb, high-fat, ketogenic lifestyle? Well, look no more as I've teamed up with ketogenic practitioner and my Keto Talk podcast co-host, Dr. Adam Nally, to create the Keto Living line of supplements. Go to ketoliving.com to see our first two items available for you, the Keto Essentials Multivitamin and the Berberine Plus Blood Sugar Control Formula. Dr. Nally himself hand-selected the key nutrients included in the Keto Essentials multivitamin, including vitamin D, methylated folate for those with the MTHFR gene mutation, vitamin B12, CoQ10, and so much more. And if you are concerned about elevated blood sugar and cholesterol levels, then check out our customized product called Berberine Plus, which combines the anti-inflammatory power of berberine with therapeutic levels of chromium and banaba leaf. And we're just getting started on the Keto Living brand of ketogenic-focused supplements in 2017, including the first-ever high-fat meal replacement powder to help you ditch those problematic protein powders coming soon. Go to ketoliving.com to get your hands on these exciting new supplements to enhance your ketogenic diet. Ketoliving.com. The information and opinions provided here are for educational purposes only and are not intended to provide individual medical advice. Material conversations and statements found herein are not intended as and does not substitute for a personalized doctor-patient relationship. You are listening to Keto Talk with Jimmy Moore and the Doc. Featuring veteran health podcaster Jimmy Moore and Surprise Arizona family physician Dr. Adam Nally. They are here answering the most pressing questions about a low-carb, high-fat, ketogenic diet. Visit our website, ketotalk.com. And now, it's time for Keto Talk with Jimmy Moore and the Doc. Here's Jimmy and Adam. Hey, hey guys, we're back here with episode 51 of Keto Talk with Jimmy Moore and the Doc. Please visit our website. It is ketotalk.com. And as always, we are very privileged to be here with the great, the amazing, enough superlatives, Dr. Adam Nally. What's up, Adam? Hey, Jimmy. And how are all the ketonians out there? Are they great and amazing ketonians? I'm sure they are. You said you have a superlative for our Ketonians. That's what I was waiting for. Oh, you were waiting for a superlative. superlative. Give me a superlative I've never heard before. 
Ooh, that's, <laughs> that's putting you on the spot. That, you put me on the spot. Yeah. How are all the superlative ketonians? Superlative. I, 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 you just, I put, put that in parentheses. You saw the air. You think of picture the air quotes. The and, air and insert quotes. whatever superlative you want there. Yes. The air quotes. <laughs> a la, what, what was it? Uh, Austin Powers. The air quotes. Air quotes. Yes. <laughs> We're dating ourselves. Okay, so uh, let's give a special thank you to the people that have helped make this show possible. These are people that have donated to make Keto Talk uh, come here week after week on Thursdays. So special thank you to Rashawn, Tina, Jose, Anya, Amy, Adrian, John, and Robin. Thank you guys so much. And you can go to paypal.me slash keto talk if you want to make a donation of any amount. You can also go to ketotalk.com. There's a donate button. And several people, Adam, have asked, you know, is there a way to donate besides PayPal? And so we do have a a, a way for you to do that. If you'll just click on the uh, email where you submit your questions and say, hey, I want to make a donation, but I don't have PayPal. You can click on that and ask how you can do it, and I'll I'll give you instructions about how you can do that. But thank you guys so much. It's very gratifying to know that we are making a difference in people's lives. Yes, thank you very much. Yeah. Well, let's dive right into today's show. And the, uh, the question we'll start off with is from Rodney. This was a really good one. Hey, Jimmy and the Doc, thank you for this awesome podcast. I've learned so much from you guys. I read Keto Clarity a year ago, and I've been learning everything I can about ketosis ever since. My fasting blood glucose is always in the 70s and 80s, but my weight seems to go too low for my comfort. I'm six foot one. I weigh around 178 pounds. I have heard you talk about how eating high fat and high carb at the same time is a really bad idea. Yes, yes, it is. I don't necessarily want to go high carb, but will it cause me problems to say to stay high fat, but also add in real food sources of carbohydrates like potatoes, berries, fruits, etc., in order to keep my weight over 180 where I am most comfortable. My father had his first heart attack at 50 years old, and even though my blood work is excellent except for LDLC, this concerns me. Can you please clarify the dangers of high fat, higher carb eating? Thanks for all you do, Rodney. So Rodney, you have a great question And it's the flip side of a lot of what we talk about here, Adam, because most people that go on a ketogenic diet do have weight to lose. And you're an obesity medicine doctor and a lot of your patient population are ones that want to lose weight. But here's Rodney, you know, and he feels very comfortable in this 180s and yet he's just below that. And he's wondering, how can I put on that little bit extra weight while still getting the benefits of being in ketosis? Now, he says his LDLC is high. Um, Rodney, don't worry about the LDLC. What I would look at if he's concerned about heart attack are sources of inflammation, uh, which an HSCRP would be a good one. Uh, what is it? Homocysteine is another good one to keep an eye on as far as inflammation levels, IGF-1. Are there other things that he needs to be concerned about and how can he add the weight while still remaining keto or does he even need to be keto? A lot of questions there. Yeah. And a lot of good questions. And Rodney's now at that point where he's been, you know, he's been doing a ketogenic lifestyle for a year and he's, he's reached his goal and, and actually gone past his goal. And he says, I'd rather be, you know, a, a little, a little of the scale weight up now. The, my, my, I have two questions for Rodney. Question number one is Rodney, are you attempting to 
are you, are you worried about a scale number because you just don't feel good at that number or are you, you wanting to gain back muscle, um, in that regard, or you just, you feel like you look too skinny because of, of that weight. That that's the real question. And there's actually three different approaches to that based on what his answer would be. The, the general gist of the, of the approach is this. And I, I get this from a lot of people who've been doing ketogenic diets for six, six or eight months is they say, when do I stop? What do I do next? And right. the, the, the issue is, you know, once we attain the goal, we can begin adding a small amount of complex real food carbohydrate back into the diet. And I tell people, you know, if we've kept you at 20 or 30 grams per day, we can now add 20 grams per meal and see how you do. Now, the, the cutoff point that I look at is, is exactly, you know, numbers like uh, inflammatory markers of H, HSCRP. Um, uh, you know, if you, if you have a history of gout or kidney stones, uh, looking at your uric acid levels, uh, blood pressure is going to be a wonderful indicator. As your, if your blood pressure starts spiking, we know that the starch uh, the insulin response to the starch you're taking in is uh, too high. And then lastly is your cholesterol, specifically the small dense LDL particle. Um, and if, if, uh, Rodney had, uh, a father who had early heart disease in his early fifties or, or at 50 years old, then he, genetically he may be predisposed to that issue. And we yeah. know that that's an insulin resistance con- component. Um, he's lost, it looks like almost 25, 30 pounds done very, very well with that. So I, I, what I tell people is, you know, 18 to 24 months is usually the number I see that, that reverses the insulin resistance. Rodney's sounds like he's been doing this for a year. So, so what we would do is begin to slowly add the carbs back, yeah. but monitoring the blood pressure, the cholesterol, the, the, the inflammation markers, um, and to make sure, cause there's a cutoff point. And I have a patient that's been doing it for two years. He came into me and said, okay, doc, now I'm doing 30 grams per meal. So he essentially has a, a piece of fruit or a slice of bread and a half yep. and his numbers are pristine. Now, Two years ago, had he done that, we couldn't have, we could, we wouldn't have seen that because he was still tremendously insulin resistant. But we actually see an improvement in his overall um, sensitivity to the sugars in the insulin after that eight, you know, 12, 18, 24 month window. So, um, the big risk factors are, you know, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, gout, and kidney stones. Those are the big risk factors if you do high fat and high carb together, but we're not talking about high carb. We're still, um, slowly going to walk our way back up those carbohydrates, kind of like Dr. Adkins did in his book initially, you know, he'd put you into that, that, um, conversion phase and then he would slowly add the carbs back. That's essentially what we're doing is we're adding that carbohydrate back to the level to where you see your weight maintain and but we're still holding off the diseases of civilization and the fact that rodney is getting blood sugar levels in the 70s and 80s pretty consistently he he hasn't measured ketones but he's rocking the ketones at that level <laughs> well i'm sure he is yeah i'm sure he is with, with numbers like that that's fantastic well, Rodney, I hope that puts your mind at ease and definitely you're very wise to be keeping an eye on on all of your health markers and not wanting to overdo it. He did say that he's going to get an NMR lipo profile to kind of keep an eye on that small, dense LDL particle. So, yeah, definitely just keep your eyes on that. And uh, it does sound like you're doing really great things. So keep it up. Well, let's get to the headline section of the show. And this is one you personally picked out, uh, Adam. You're like, we we need to talk about this. Yes, sir. (laughs) Just kidding. Usually I pick them out, but Adam's like, I really want to talk about this. Yeah, I can tell why you want to talk about this. So the, the headline is from the Washington Post. Can breakfast help keep us thin? Nutrition science is tricky. Cereal makers have happily encouraged the belief that eating breakfast can help keep us thin and bring other benefits, partly by paying for studies that seem to support the idea. Oh, no. Do they really do that? No. No, say it ain't so. 
So does that mean breakfast is bad for you? Not that either. What it does show is how difficult it is to sort the hype from reliable dietary advice when studies are funded by the makers of Fruit Loops. Nutrition science is often inconclusive and the gray areas can be spun for marketing. So Special K did this in the 1990s. They featured boxes, uh, had findings that people who didn't normally eat breakfast lost more weight after they started doing so. That was the little piece that they put on the cereal box. A co-author of the study of about 50 women uh, not mentioned on the boxes is that regular breakfast eaters who started skipping the meal lost even more weight. What's that? Fasting? Fasting? What? What? Compared to those who stuck with their routines. So he goes on and on talking about this. It's interesting you chose this headline, Adam, because my talk that I just gave at an event and will be giving this weekend at another event in Ottawa, Ontario, Canada, um, is on this very thing about how, uh, you know, all of these studies seem to get funded and they either uh, tell people don't talk about this thing, but talk about that thing. And and it, it seems that you almost have to take science with a grain of salt and rely more on how it responds in you. Uh, what was your impetus for wanting to highlight this one? Well, I had a bunch of people, you know, contact me via various components, you know, and um, as they've begun to do a ketogenic diet, the natural, the natural um, step is that they begin eating less. Yeah. And, and when they wake up in the morning and they're not hungry, they'll, they'll skip breakfast. Their physicians have been saying, Oh, you can't do that. Your breakfast is good. You got to have breakfast. You're going to gain weight, you know? And, and because that's what Wheaties and, and, um, uh, you know, special case said to us years ago Yeah, was you have to have your breakfast. Um, well, the, what, what was exciting, what was, what stimulated me was that this this particular article was written based off of a literature review where they actually went back and looked at the literature. And in looking at the literature, they said, you know, the conclusion that was made by you know, Special K years ago, it doesn't correlate with what the literature actually says. There is no data to support evidence that, you know, having breakfast allows you to lose weight more effectively. So, so the next step in the process that they identified was that some of these manufacturers, when they did a study said, well, yeah, it doesn't cause weight loss to occur, but, um, there's nutrients in it. So we can say breakfast is good because you get all the nutrients you need. And they fortify those nutrients. That's what they don't tell people either. Yeah. So they just put a little spin on their research and make it sound like, yeah, you got to eat our cereal for breakfast because yeah. you got to eat breakfast. And, and so what I, what I, I, my, my big point was, you know, based on the literature that's there, um, you eat when you're hungry, don't eat when you're not. And that's, and that really then lends to, to, you know, you, you're following a ketogenic lifestyle with intermittent fasting. Oh yes, I know. You know and, <laughs> and, and so it, it comes along, it, it's kind of a natural progression of, of things to occur. Yeah. And I, I've heard so many people ask the question, but, but breakfast is so good for you. Why would you skip it? Um, you know, you, again, if your body says it's not hungry, don't eat. That's the, that's the key. And here's the thing about breakfast. Think about the word itself. Breakfast, all it means is breaking the fast. And so I agree breakfast is the most important meal of the day. I just don't think it has to be at seven or eight o'clock in the morning. (laughs) It could be at one or two o'clock in the afternoon. And that's when you're breaking the fast. And of course, breakfast for dinner is amazing. So uh, you could do that later in the day, have eggs and bacon and avocado and yeah, all that stuff. So it, it's it's one of those cultural things that the cereal companies really did lead the charge of pushing this eating every few hours. And so people believe it now. 
to control yeah, their know. blood sugar of all things. That's the funniest part of this. Control your blood sugar by doing the very thing that makes it go up. <laughs> it's amazing. Rather than fasting, which over time could help. And we're not talking about long fasting. Just skip your breakfast and then have break fast at one or two o'clock. And you and might great. be able to have that as your only meal of the day. So, yeah, it's this was a good article. I appreciate you bringing it to the attention. But it's just more evidence that you have to be scrutinizing even of so-called science. Very much so. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. And let's get right into today's featured questions here on Keto Talk. Lisa has the first one, and this is a good one. Hi, Jimmy and Adam. I love your Keto Talk podcast. I had a question about being on hormone replacement therapy while eating keto. I had surgical menopause when I was 26, and I'm currently on hormone replacement therapy, HRT. I've also been on keto for the past few years, and I've always struggled with my weight. I noticed that when I'm not on my estrogen therapy, I have no issues with losing weight. But the moment I start HRT, I can't seem to lose the weight. On HRT, my blood ketones are only 0.4 millimolar and my blood sugar's in the 90s. When I'm off of HRT, blood ketones reach 1.2 millimolar and blood sugar's in the 60s. My endocrinologist has a fit when I'm not taking my hormone replacement. So despite being on a low dose of estrogen, just 3 milligrams, could the HRT be negatively impacting my weight loss and my overall ability to stay in optimal therapeutic levels of nutritional ketosis? Thanks for your help with this, Lisa. So Lisa has quite the interesting question, Doc. Can hormone replacement surgery or therapy, excuse me, have a negative impact on blood ketones and blood sugar levels that would somehow halt weight loss? It's a, that's a very good question. And it's an interesting question because I had to think through what she was talking about. Um, the first, the first principle that's un, important to understand with hormone replacement therapy is it, it really has to be individualized. Yes. You know, one size does not fit all. Now, um, from the perspective of generalities, about 20% of my postmenopausal women really do need some estrogen to get the weight to come off the middle. But depending on Lisa and the type of a hysterectomy she had, mm-hmm. if they left an ovary or if they left ovaries, plural, which sometimes they will do, she may She's still be still producing, producing it. some estrogen and some progesterone. Yeah. And so she may actually not need the high, the dose she gets. Now she said that three milligrams was a low dose. That's, um, if that's a pill, that's a high dose. Uh, so, so I, I'm, I'm a little confused by the comment there. <laughs> um, but in looking at what's occurring with her, she knows her body. She's seen what's happening into her body. So she needs to have a conversation with her doctor to optimize that therapy and explain to her doctor what she's seen and why she's seen it and, and have the doctor work with her in that regard. Um, I suspect there, there, she may still have an ovary that's still producing some progesterone and or estrogen and that that excess that, uh, dosage can be kind of throwing the system out of whack. Um, excessive estrogen can be a problem, and I would not be surprised that it is changing her ability to maintain ketosis that way. Yeah, this was kind of an opposite of what I've heard from other women. It seems like when they take hormone replacement, everything gets better, blood sugar, blood ketones, but it sounds like uh, she's gone the opposite way. So thank you for your input, Doc, and thank you for that question, Lisa. 
And we're up to the second featured question of the day. This one's from Katie, all the way from Liverpool, England. Hi, guys. I look forward to your podcast every week. It has helped keep me informed and motivated me in my keto journey since I began nine months ago. I've lost 38 pounds so far with ease, with no hunger or cravings. Way to go. You guys rock, she said. You rock too. I'm very interested in the biological mechanisms of ketosis, and I know how much Dr. Nally loves geeking out on all this kind of stuff. Yes, he does. Regarding the carbohydrate insulin theory, can you explain how Tofi, thin outside, fat inside people, don't put on visible weight when they consume a high-carb, low-fat diet? Is it just genetics? And can you explain how a high-carb, low-fat diet creates inflammation in the body with or without the weight gain? And finally, how would a low-carb, high-fat ketogenic diet help someone with TOFI? Thanks so much, Katie from Liverpool, England. So she wants to know, why don't TOFI people gain weight when they eat low-fat? And would a ketogenic diet help? It's a great question. And I figured you'd read that one in your English accent, Jimmy, but you didn't. So I was really disappointed. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm all stopped up. I have no English anything. <laughs> so, no, I want to hear your English accent. <laughs> oh, you don't want to hear my English accent. <laughs> Poppins? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, it, it's a great question that Katie asks. And um, the, uh, <clears throat> the, first, the first point that I think it's important for Katie to recognize is that there are 26 different hormones that stimulate and regulate weight. And if she really wants to geek out on them, they're insulin, GLP-1, GIP, CCK, PYY, oxymodulin, APO, AB4, there's glucagon, ghrelin, leptin, uh, PP, adiponectin, enterostatin, amylin, somatostatin, neurotensin, there's neurotrophic factor, CRH, TRH, alpha, MSH, MCH, neuroprotein Y, a goody-related protein, GABA, TSH, T4, and T3, just to start. And a partridge in so, a pear tree. You know, you know. last so, week you did that with the proteins that were insulogenic, and I had my web guy make a graphic of that. So you know I'm going to have to make a graphic now of everything you just said, just and my web guy's going to hate me now because so, <laughs> I don't have that list. And he'll be like, I had to listen like 20 times to get it all. <laughs> I know I did that. I knew, I knew that was going to happen. So I thought somebody's out there going to type this all up and have a graphic <laughs> off of it, which is great. Yeah. Um, but, but now, so the first, first thing to recognize is those 26 hormones exist. Now, genetically, we, we produce those hormones at, at, at different, um, uh, amounts based on the stimulus that we experience uh, either environmentally or, 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 in, in, uh, endocrinologically, I guess is the way to say that. Mm-hmm. Um, and insulin stimulates the inflammatory hormones directly by causing the fat cells to to store and to produce uh, inflammatory modulation. Now, the bigger and the f- more full the fat cell becomes, what we're finding is that the fat cell can become sicker. And we we call this term adiso adisopop adiso. Oh my word! I can't you say, say what. <laughs> <laughs> Adiposity? Adiposopathy, yes. And it's it's basically meaning sick fat cells. Yeah. And when those fat cells are sick, they begin to produce leptin and uh, tumor necrosis uh, factor alpha and interleukin-6 and even estradiol has some modulation um, differently and in a way that can can amplify inflammation and actually can cause more and more weight gain. And so to, to explain the one factor from the uh, inflammation for Katie first, it's because our fat cells become sick and the hormone production from those fat cells is produced in an inappropriate way. 
how does a person who is who has TOFI gain on the inside but not the outside is yep. well that's genetic genetically they're predisposed to layer the fat around their organs rather than on the outside of their body and that's really down Much to genes but, but if we scan them we can see that they layer large amounts of fats around these organs without seeing large amounts of fat on the outside of the body and so again we're all individual and I think I've said that almost every time mm-hmm. in the last podcast and our hormone response to these different hormones, again, 26 of them, um, will be slightly different for each person. And, but again, the master hormone here is insulin. And as we can regulate that insulin more effectively, then we can identify and, and begin to attempt to regulate some of these others in various ways if we need to. Um, that's, that's kind of the uh, short winded geeky answer. Maybe that's long winded. (laughs) And, And it does sound like the insulin is the key here. So a low insulin, low inflammation diet would help even someone without visible uh, obesity on their on their body, but they have the fat inside. This would heal the fat inside. Very much so. And, and I have multiple patients that come into me saying, Dr. Nelly, I'm not really heavy on the scale, but their cholesterol's out of whack and they're diabetic and they're, yep. they're, you know, everything's out of whack. Well, as soon as we put them on a diet, they lose maybe five pounds and they go, well, my, my scale weight didn't drop, but their waist shrinks dramatically and they, they feel better. Their cholesterol's normal. Their blood pressure's normal. You know, and in six to eight months, all of a sudden they have pristine blood work yet they've only, they've only moved the scale by five pounds and they're, they're going, well, wait. And, and again, that's one of those people that has, um, you know, they, they layer the fat on the inside that you're not really seeing the visible fat on the outside. And what I love is when you see like pictures of those people, when they have the fat inside and then they get healed, you can even tell just looking at them that they're healthier looking at them on the outside, even though they're, they're thin in both pictures, you see how much healthier they are. It's, it's truly amazing. Oh, yeah, they have that they have that glow about them that really looks good. The glow. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you, Katie. Appreciate that question all the way from Liverpool, England. And I would not try to do an English accent in a million years. Not happening. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to pause here for a sponsor and we'll be right back. Do you miss pizza because it's not a part of your low-carb lifestyle? Then let me introduce you to Real Good Pizza Company. Go to realgoodpizzaco.com and you'll see they have grain-free, gluten-free pizzas that are frozen, 25 grams of protein, 4 grams of carbohydrates, and lots and lots of healthy fats. They only use real food ingredients, almost no carbs, and it's perfect for any low-carb and ketogenic lifestyle. The crust is made from all-natural Parmesan and chicken. The chicken is antibiotic-free and hormone-free. The tomatoes in the sauce and the vegetables in the Supreme are non-GMO, and the cheese is locally sourced and all-natural as well. It's healthy, guilt-free pizza that actually tastes like a pizza. Again, it's called Real Good Pizza. Head on over to realgoodpizzaco.com and be sure to use the coupon code LLVLC at checkout to get 10% off your order as well as free shipping. Real Good Pizza. Are you an athlete who eats a low-carb, high-fat, ketogenic diet? Then let me introduce you to GoKetoAthlete.com. It's your one-stop source to find books, articles, movies, podcasts, and a member's blog all about maximizing your athletic performance using the keto lifestyle. GoKetoAthlete.com is set to become the world's largest directory of resources and expert knowledge on all things keto for that weekend warrior and elite competitor alike. 
They do this by cataloging the unique and collective experiences of its members all in one place. Start your free trial today and become a member of this rapidly growing community of like-minded athletes. Get yours at GoKetoAthlete.com and be sure to use the coupon code LLVLC at checkout to receive a complimentary 60-day membership to try it out for yourself. GoKetoAthlete.com We're back here with Keto Talk with Jimmy Moore and the Doc. My name is Jimmy Moore, the international best-selling author of the Ketogenic Cookbook and Keto Clarity. I'm here with Dr. Adam Nally, who's out there in surprise, Arizona, working with his patient population. And uh, you see thousands, tens of thousands of patients. So you've got a lot of moxie when it comes to answering these questions. And I was just at a conference and people were just so thankful for you. And all the great wisdom that you share on this show. And they love the show. So uh, thank you guys for listening. And thank you, Dr. Nally, for all your great work. That's very kind. Thank you very much. Well, let's get to the third featured question. This one's from Bo. Bo says, I intermittently fast for 16 to 20 hours each day. In addition to being on a ketogenic diet, I'm about three weeks in. And so far, so good. If you are fully keto adapted, then what happens to the fat that you consume and yet do not burn off for energy? If your insulin levels are low, that fat can't possibly be stored, right? If that is true, then what happens to that fat? I appreciate your input. Thanks, Bo. See, this is this is what happens, Adam, when you start getting all geeky and, and real nerdy on these answers. People start asking very geeky, nerdy questions. And so Bo has one for you, too. If you don't burn up the fat that you consume, then what happens to it when you're in a ketogenic state? See, the exciting thing is that we've got our ketonians out there. They're actually using their brains. They're yes. thinking, which is really cool. Because they're see. in ketosis. So. They, they have this advanced <laughs> level of thinking. But yeah, I, I really do think I that, that, that there's something to that. I believe it too. So, <laughs> Bo, good question. And it's one of the questions that I, 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 I get in, in roundabout ways. But let me, let me kind of try to, try to uh, make it easy or simple to understand. First, the first assumption that a lot of people make is that we absorb every bit of fat we put in our mouth. And, and, and I want to tell you that that isn't really true. And the reason that isn't true is that um, your mouth is the opening to the tube and your, your backside is the end of the tube. And it's just a tube. It's a long tube. And unless your body is stimulated to actually absorb the fat through the gut wall, you actually won't absorb all the fat. So even if you put it in, you won't absorb it all. Um, and then, uh, now, how does your body know what to do? Well, n- number one, it, again, it's hormonal. And, um, we know that if, if you do absorb the fat, 80 per, 84% of the fat that you um, burn turns into carbon dioxide and you blow it off through your breath and the other 16% turns into water. Um, but if you take in more than you actually are going to burn, yeah. remember the, the gut is creating, the, the liver is can always creating with cholesterol, waste products, um, and uh, bile, it's creating bile salts that are actually cycled two or three times per day. So, okay. so you make between six to 700 milligrams of bile salt every day that's cycled from your bloodstream into the liver, back into the gut. So you're cycling this and there's this turnaround of, of cholesterol, bile salt, fat, things of that nature that, that may or may not be used or burned. And if it's not used and burned and the body's not um, told to pull it up, and there's these fancy receptors called FXR receptors that are stimulated to pull fat in and increase bile salt so the fat can be absorbed 
if it body needs it and then less if it doesn't need it um, is again modulated by by hormones uh, your body will will control the absorption that it needs if you start taking in um, you know, let go and take four tablespoons of coconut oil and, and also eat a donut you're gonna <laughs> find that you're gonna feel really sick because that tube's gonna flush it all That's and it's gonna gross. flush it all because the hormones say I don't need it toss it out yeah. and it'll toss it out fast and that and it'll and it'll do that and that's and so that's what you end up seeing happen so the assumption that just because you put it in your mouth you're going to absorb it isn't really true number one if you're more active physically you you will probably pull more of that in and you'll probably burn more of it but if your body doesn't need it and there's no insulin around telling you to store it it's going to cycle it out through the the waste system essentially if i ate four tablespoons of coconut oil and then had a donut behind that, I think I would throw it out by throwing it up. <laughs> that sounds gross. I had to make this verbal picture sound it's, really it's, good. It's so. quite the picture. <laughs> Hopefully someone didn't have to pull their car over and <laughs> open up the door. I know, right? Lose their cookies. Yeah, yeah lose, lose their donuts. So um, Dr. Bernstein, Dr. Richard Bernstein, the very famous diabetologist, um, one time on the Live and La Vida Low Carb Show said that if you eat anything in excess, pebbles even, um, that would distend the gut, which obviously if you eat so much fat, you could distend the gut, it will produce an insulin response. So could that be some mechanism by which maybe excess fat would be stored as body fat? Oh, absolutely. And, and so we, we you know, uh, the stretch response of the gut stimulates a hormone response. Um, uh, uh, GLP-1 is stimulated as a stress, re- a stretch response. Uh, GIP as a hormone is, is stimulated as a stretch response. So there's at least four or five hormones that actually will be turned on just because the gut stretches. That actually starts that process of absorption. Now, if the body then signals later that, hey, we got plenty and we don't need the extra two tablespoons of coconut oil, yeah. then the body will actually tone down that uh, receptor so that, so that the absorption slows a bit and you actually don't absorb as much. Now you'll still be absorbing continuously. That's what the gut does, but it's, it can amplify the absorption based on the signals that it gets either stretch or hunger or um, certain food types even it, or we know do that. So uh, he's absolutely correct there. Again, it's this balance. And remember that there's a 15 hour transit time for most people from from top to bottom so during that transit time if the body needs it it's going to pull it in if it doesn't it's going to cycle it back out and and if you're cycling bile salt two or three times that 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 fat and cholesterol may actually cycle through a couple times before you either need it or dump it if that makes sense yeah literally dump it (laughs) and i've never heard that process called from top to bottom so that's another one i'll have to use just kidding (laughs) Thank you, Bo, for that question. And we are up. We're flying through this show today. Uh, We're up to the Keto Talk mailbox. Hi, Jimmy and the Doc. Love the show. I have a long drive to work every day. You guys make it fly by. Speaking of fly by, my question is about the impact of a ketogenic diet on sperm production. You talk a lot about it boosting testosterone, but does it actually boost the sperm production? Thanks, guys. Danielle in Sydney, Australia. So we got a we got a woman here wanting to know about sperm production and whether it is increased on a ketogenic diet. 
I thought that was fascinating that Danielle asked the question. I figured it's it would be a great be a guy question, Danielle, but I would not expect it from a woman. <laughs> Maybe they're a little bit more progressive in Australia, so they don't mind asking those kind of questions. I'm sure. I'm sure. Well, it, it is a great question. And it's it actually is the it's kind of the, the next question that a Ketonian would think of, you know, as they're as they're doing these things. Sure. So, so fantastic, deep questions. Um Generally, the answer is yes. It, it, what I say because your testosterone level actually is in, in improve your produ- testosterone production and your ability to use testosterone is increased on a ketogenic diet. However, what I would tell Danielle is that sperm production is not limited to testosterone alone. You know, sperm it take it, for sperm to to mature, it takes about seventy days, and it requires a fully functional epididymal transport system, um, and it requires a slightly lower temperature in the scrotal sac than it does in the abdomen, uh, and that and, and that's driven by uh, adequate production of FSH, which is follicle stimulating hormone, and LH, which is luteinizing hormone, and oftentimes in any in in, in at least. A third to uh, sometimes even maybe half, uh, the, the numbers estimate, but what I see in my office is about a third of men with insulin resistance will, will have a low level of FSH and LH, and they will actually have um, a difficulty with conception because they're, they're producing inadequate sperm. Now, when the, te- when the FSH and LH are, are, are at a, an appropriate level, the LH stimulates the testosterone production appropriately, and FSH actually stimulates the serotoli cells, which actually produce four other hormones and enhance glucose absorption and things like that into the cell so the cell can make the sperm. So there's actually two systems that are operating in conjunction um, and appropriately when that testosterone level hits the correct level, correct levels to stabilize the production of the sperm. So, and it's a, like I said, 70 day process. So when you shift into ketosis, it may take you up to, you know, three, four months before your testosterone levels hit normal and you begin to adequately produce sperm appropriately. And that's kind of the, the long-winded answer, but, but it's a good question. Absolutely. Well, Danielle, hopefully that helps answer your question. And Doc, since we're ahead of schedule on today's show, we're uh, zooming through the show, I'm going to throw a little bonus at you. And this is specifically for you. Somebody wanted to know, the, the somebody's name is Grizz, G-R-I-Z. Grizz says, I am a little surprised, Dr. Nally, that you're okay with aspartame as I've read that when it is heated over 40 degrees Celsius, it will convert to formaldehyde. So I thought I would give you a chance to respond to this. This is a quickie little thing that we're going to add in here at the end of the show. But how do you respond to Grizz? Well, Grizz, I don't heat my aspartame. <laughs> That's, um, it, 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 we, we know that, that an aldehyde does form off of aspartame, and, and that actually is um, one true. of the, the byproducts. It is true. Now, I don't know anyone who actually cooks with aspartame um, because it's not it's it, it for that it doesn't taste good at all no. and it doesn't smell good either and so it, it as from the perspective of cooking with it it's not something that I would recommend at all now it is used as a sweetener and a, a portion of my patients just can't use it period because it exacerbates headaches and it causes other issues and so I warn people you know if you're going to use aspartame in in a in a sweetener with with something that you're drinking be aware that this these things could happen um but what i have done with myself and patients is looked at it very closely to determine what specifically is the um insulin response to the glucose response to aspartame and i have not seen it uh, happen or 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 be an issue the other issue is in regards to cancer formation everybody just freaks out and says oh it's going to cause cancer yeah we we know that at very very high levels 800 times the normal amount 
in rats and mice, it can stimulate uh, abnormal cell growth uh, and, and some blindness. Now, the metabolism of a rat and a mouse is dramatically different than that of a human. And in human studies, all, the ones that I've read, and I've read them because I wanted to know specifically, because I like drinking my diet under pepper, is that aspartame going to cause a problem? And in the human studies that I can see, and I, and it's not, I didn't read the, the, um, the, the, uh, twist of the study that they, you know, they, they, that they did with sugar, I actually read the study and said, what does the study actually show? The outcomes don't show any adverse event at a normal ingestion level of aspartame. So as of today, I'm okay with it. Now, if, if tomorrow something comes up and says, Hey, this is different then I'm going to change my tune. You know, we constantly want to be learning. Um, but for some of us, um, and I'm one of those people being able to sip on something that, that, that suppresses my appetite because I have a high stress job and I'm, um, always talking, being able to sip on something other than water is, is one of those things that I look forward to. And it actually helps me to suppress my appetite and some of my cravings. And I have a lot of patients that have the same issue. And so if they're able to just sip on a, a little bit of a diet soda that has a bit of aspartame as a sweetener throughout the day, and that suppresses them eating a meal or, or snacking or cheating or having some sugar. Capacity, yeah. or having sugar, then I'm, I'm all for that as an as, as an option for substitution in regards to um, uh, uh, helping a person change the habitual way we eat and and you know it, it's, it's almost impossible to change a habit what we find when you look at when you study habits is that you have to change the actual mechanism within the habit so you substitute out one for another so that the habit doesn't it doesn't cause tremendous anxiety and stress itself yeah, and I remember during the Gulf War uh, that they were complaining about the soldiers uh, that were drinking the Diet Coke, for example, where the soda had sat in that hot desert sun. So would that be an issue? I mean, obviously, you live in a very warm climate as well. Maybe they store the the Diet Dr. Pepper somewhere where it could get heated up, that that would be a problem that, that Grizz is concerned about? It, it could it could be you know if if it gets heated up it will it will change its taste now there's a there's a half life on aspartame too um, if you ever buy a, a case of soda and you let it sit in your in your pantry for longer than a few months or six months and it goes past that expiration date and you taste it it will taste nasty um, I guarantee it will I, I've tasted it um, and it, it it will denature or decay over time so there is a shelf life for aspartame and um, so that, that, that's, that is one of those issues. So um, if you heat it up, it can be a problem. It'll taste bad. If you if it sits for too long, the the aspartame actually will denature and you've got it, it won't taste good and you have to throw it out anyway. They need to put warnings on those cans then because I had a next door neighbor. He was type two diabetic, real skinny guy, but type two. And he had literally cases, I would say at least 100 cases in his garage of Diet Coke. Like wow. those big 24 packs of, of diet. Co- and I went over one day and went, whoa, are you having a party or something? Oh, no, I just stock up when they're on sale. And I was like, wow, that's just that was just shocking to me. So uh, he's no longer with us. He died a few years ago. But wow, it was just amazing. You know, when we, we, my wife and I had gone to Sam's Club and so my wife said, hey, look, the Diet Dr. Pepper's on sale. So we bought a couple cases and, and we went through, you know, part of a case and it, and it sat for a while and, and we didn't get to the second case for, it must have been quite a while. And when I went and pulled out one of these cans um, and, and it's like, ooh, this is nasty. Yeah. And I flipped, flipped the can around and it was actually an expiration date. And I thought, Diet Soda has an expiration date. Yeah. And that, that's when I looked it up and saw, thought, 
Uh, so to have an expiration date is the aspartame. It yes. actually does decay over time. Wow. So, so yeah, that's something to keep an eye on. And it's a, it's a very good question. In um, case you didn't know, now you know, thanks to Keto Talk. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get to the iTunes review. We had a really good one from Sloan in Virginia. Sloan says, I'm 22 years old. I am obsessed with all things health and nutrition. Boy, is uh, Sloan, you are outside the box of most millennials because most don't give a crap. Uh, I recently transitioned <laughs> from a paleo lifestyle into nutritional ketosis back in October 2016. I've seen tremendous results in all aspects of my life, appetite suppression, mental clarity, enhanced athletic performance and recovery, and a boost in my overall mood. The list just goes on and on. I fortunately stumbled upon Keto Talk in early December. I binged my way through every single episode finishing them in three weeks. This podcast has helped me fine-tune my keto lifestyle more than anything else. So thank you, Jimmy Moore and Adam Nally. You guys rock. Keep on keeping on. Well, Sloan, thank you so much. And he gave us five stars. The number one ketogenic podcast is how he labeled his review. And if you'd like to leave us a review, head on over to iTunes and you can do that pretty easily. Just type in keto, type in Jimmy Moore. You will find us, I promise you. And leaving a review really helps us out. Thank you. So that's it for episode 51 of Keto Talk with Jimmy Moore and the Doc. As always, head on over to KetoTalk.com. And if you are brand new, like Sloan to the podcast, you can binge listen as well. Go to KetoTalk.com. And uh, we have all the archives listed there with all the show notes. Or you can go to iTunes. We're also on Stitcher. We're on all the places where, where, where the, all the cool kids are. <laughs> Even though uh, the doc and I were probably the nerds when we were in school. So. <laughs> That's awesome. I'll speak for myself anyway. Were you the nerd in school, doc? <laughs> I kind of was, yeah. yeah. I, was, I kind of, yeah, yeah. I think I was. I, I think your answers now show that you had a little nerdiness in you then, too. So. <laughs> I've always I've always looked with a little bit of admiration towards those who wear pocket protectors. So ah, yeah. so Revenge yeah. of the Nerds is like one of your favorite movies. <laughs> and yeah, just kidding. Yep, exactly. Well, well, guys, that's it for this episode. We'll see you again next Thursday. Take care, guys. You've been listening to Keto Talk with Jimmy Moore and the Doc. Visit our website, ketotalk.com, for full show notes for this episode. If you enjoy this podcast, then head on over to iTunes and leave us a review. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Keto Talk. We'll see you again soon. Thank you. <laughs>